Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season four. It's likely you've never heard of the most important movie of 1989. That's because in the end, Relentless was just another forgotten 1980s slasher film. But director William Lustig's original plan could have changed cinematic history forever. Lustig flavored his movie with enough subliminal messaging to spark mass murder by hundreds of wannabe serial killers sitting in the nation's theaters that summer. Why didn't it work? And why is Lustig still taking lunch meetings in Hollywood rather than rotting in jail. This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I am your host, Roderick Decker. It's a term that's become ubiquitous in cities around the country over the last decade, farm to table. For consumers, that's meant buying more locally sourced fresh produce to benefit the health of their community and their own health. In a recent study, Americans were asked for the first word that came to mind when they heard the term farmer's market. The number one answer with 81% of respondents was the word healthy. Other answers included community, kid-friendly, weekends, social atmosphere, and safe. We are going to speak today with someone who throws all of that goodwill into the compost pile. But before we get to Daryl, I want to welcome my co-host for this week, Jeffrey Dahmer. Get down, get. What's that? I'm talking to my cat. I bought a cat. Oh. My therapist wants me to get a cat to um, try to work through some of my past issues. What kind of issues? Um, most animals in my life don't stay in my life very long. Oh, they run away? No, they try. But um, I usually end up getting rid of them. Or you just give them away or give them to the shelter? I give pieces of them away. That's for sure. I just don't like being barked at. So I'm trying a cat this time. And what I'm noticing is this thing screams at me all day long. It jumps on the counters. And I, I like a clean counter. I don't like my counters get dirty. I'm figuring it's it's jumping on my desk. It's it's uh, it's a very springy animal, and I was not aware of that going in. Have you uh, fed it? Oh, I mean, it could be just trying to get your attention because it's hungry. That's probably why it keeps biting my wrist. I'll try that after this. I'll try that. I I probably should look up what cats eat because I don't know if any like gazelle around where I live. So I should probably. Find what kind out. of cat do you have? I have a serval. I don't. Know, I'm not familiar with the serval. What is that? It's a, a wild cat, but it's um, a bigger cat. It's not domesticated at all. But I'm trying to domesticate it. Um, it's got um, very sharp claws that um, it uses to kind of like beg for food. I'm assuming now, and it has a loud, 
uh, hiss, oh, hiss that it makes. Yeah, and it doesn't very much meow. It's like a very high-pitched screech. Yeah, but I, I went to an exotic uh, animal. It's an exotic animal rescue shelter, um, and they only you can only rescue exotics. And it was between this cat and a puma. And I said, well, I don't like mountain lions, and I don't like the shoes puma makes. So, so you went with serval? I, I have a serval now. Relative to a dog, how big is the serval? It's bigger than most dogs. It's probably about the size of a German shepherd. It's a pretty big cat, which, uh, you know, the picture they sent me from the rescue, it looks smaller on the photo. And then I went and saw it in person. I was like, Jesus, this thing's like up to my chest. I mean, and right and right now, if you can hear it, it's walking around and clanking around. So when you were saying it was biting your wrist, you weren't talking about like a nibble. You were talking about... No, it's full on biting my wrist. It drew blood. You can't see it right now, but I have uh, I've taped up my wrist with gauze. So I'm going to... I should probably feed it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do that now before we continue or? Oh, I don't know. I don't think I have anything that it eats on hand. I probably have to make it something. Do you think a serval likes baked fish, salted greens, and uh, like mashed potatoes? Yeah. The more salt, the better. Okay. I'll give it a shot. Oh, outside of that, I did uh, watch uh, Relentless again. Just uh, they, they, they made us put it up at the uh, Hollywood video. Oh, they played it for everybody. Yeah. They're um, it's my boss found out about this and uh, he said, well, why don't we play relentless as like a double advertisement? You can tell people about the, uh, the old podcast you're doing. Oh, wow. So was Hollywood video excited that you were doing a podcast and talking about their brand? Um, they were, I'm not sure they will be when they hear it. Cause um, I, I haven't said the most positive things. So, but uh, I've watched the film again. It's weird. I've been getting these weird urges, like just look through, flip through a phone book. But not any violent urges, just a curiosity and a, a research urge. I feel like my most violent urges so far have been uh, with the serval. Not the serval to you, but you to the serval? Yeah, it kind of like in response to being bitten, like screamed at. Well, what did you think of the movie generally? Oh, the movie's uh, still garbage. You know, when they made me watch it, when I first started working on Hollywood Video, I hated it. And I said, I can't believe that this is getting anyone to uh, commit murders. And it doesn't surprise me that they're doing a terrible, terrible job at it. But rewatching it now, kind of while doing this podcast, I'm kind of like, I don't know, I feel like I'm going back through and really trying to understand like characters like Robert Loggia. Was he always that old? Did he ever look young? Uh, you know, Judd Nelson, I, I, he looks, he's very young in this. And so I, I'm just trying to dissect it more. And the more I dissect it, the more angry I get. Because you think, you feel like you understand the vision of the director or because it's so bad? I'm, yeah, it's more because it's so bad. And I feel like I, I, I'm watching it every time hoping that I see like some direction of where this movie was supposed to go. And I, it, it's, there's so many turns that are missed, like a car driving down a highway, you know where it wants to go, but it just keeps skipping exits. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the movie feels like. That would have been a good review. Get down. No, get down. It opened the fridge. It opened the fridge. That's a big cat. Yeah. Stop it. Hey, stop it. Stop it. All right, let's get to our guest for this week. Unfortunately, the guest that we had scheduled, Chugwater, Wyoming-based musician, 
Carlotta Bianchi was unable to make it. Carlotta, you will remember from last week, is the principal uh, viola player for the Chugwater Philharmonic String Quartet, who played on the Relentless score. Um, Recently, Carlotta claimed that she'd gone rogue while recording the score and slipped groups of her own subliminal music notes into the mix. C-A-F-E, then D-E-C-A-F, then D-E-D. And she had hoped... She said that these notes would prompt a serial killer to, quote, murder people ordering decaf in coffee shops. Since her Medium post went viral a couple of weeks ago, Carlotta's become internet famous, and she told our producers earlier this week that she had decided to do an interview with Billy Bush for Extra rather than come on Optophobia. So, you know, fuck Billy Bush. We were, however, lucky enough to set up an interview with a great guest joining us from his home in Reading, Pennsylvania. Daryl Klepp is with us. Welcome to Optophobia, Daryl. Oh my gosh. Hey, y'all. How you doing? I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you, especially on short notice. Thank you again for doing that. Hey, hey, what's what's going on, Klepp? Just a just a pleasure. I just I'm just so happy to be here. This is just so exciting. Daryl, did you did you grow up in Reading? Have you lived there? Your whole life? Grew up in Reading most of my life. Uh, was there. Grew up, I mean, grew up in the South, but I, I've been in Reading, Pennsylvania for so long that it's just like, it feels like home. It's hard, though. have a lot of family that lives down in the South, down in Georgia. So Pennsylvania has long been a refuge for Southern gay men. I, I'm, I'm sorry, what? I'm, I'm sorry, was that, was that an assumption about me, Mr. Jeffrey? I think it was. Are you not? Oh no, I'm just I I'm actually I I'm a virgin. Uh I have just kind of just held out. I've just never found a certain someone. I hate to break this. I've I've spent time in the South. That's uh, anyone who says they're a virgin, that's uh Southern for gay. I might present and people might assume that I'm just asexual, but they might assume because of the way that I talk or the way that I sound and just how hospitable and gracious I am as a host, mm-hmm. that I might be gay. And I'm fine with that. I mean, it doesn't matter. Oh, I wasn't judging you at all. I was just I was just trying to pick up on the vibes you're putting down. Well, I'm going to say by your tone that you had that was there, that uh, that was a little bit judgy. Okay, if you felt it judgy, uh, I don't apologize for that. I am who I am. And uh, if you have a problem with it, you can come down to uh, Los Angeles, California, to the last standing Hollywood video and we can talk this out face to face. Okay, let's let's back up a little bit. We're just starting this interview. So Je- Jeffrey, did we start off on the wrong foot here? You know what it is? You sound like my father. Oh, really? Does he just sound like does he just sound like a southern evidently according to you gay gentleman? Uh, he does. He's also a pastor and he's he was very strict growing up. Ooh. I'm getting a, a little riled up just thinking about it. Hearing the voice again. Sorry, I, I don't know how to be anybody else other than me. I don't know how to do another voice. Like if I if I kind of go up an octave, if I kind of go up an octave, does this sound more or less like your father? That sounds actually more like my father. Yeah, I kind of felt that. I felt that a little bit. I'm sorry. Let's reset. I, I'm so sorry. I was tripping. okay. All right, all right. We gonna dial it back. We just gonna dial it back a little bit. All right, dial it back. Dial it back. Here we are. Can you not do that? My dad used to do that all the time. Daryl, tell us a little bit about your childhood in Reading. What what was growing up in Reading like? Oh my gosh, it was suburbia through and through. You know, I. Went to a very relatively small elementary, middle, and high school through Reading High, go Red Knights, you know, the entire time that we were there. 
you play any sports in in high school? Um, no, I didn't. Hmm. A lot of people forget that a majority of central Pennsylvania also has a lot of rural landscape and area that's there as well. And so you pop out of the neighborhood and it's just spacious farms. I worked on a farm for a majority of this time. So okay. it's very hard to have extracurricular and also work on a farm at the same time. When you say rural, you said rural. Is that like code word for not a lot of black people around? I mean, it's above Virginia, so probably not. I mean, you know, you have to think like it's not technically the South. So, I mean, you would think that, yes, there were not a lot of black yeah, people. Yeah, I thought so. All right. Is that helpful? Yeah, it paints a picture for me. Okay. Now, now I want to ask a question. Does that matter? that I didn't grow up with a lot of black people. I mean, I've met a lot of black other farmers. Actually, I mean, I'm part of I'm part of Farmers Against Racism. Um, I've actually done a lot of reading up on FAR and uh I just feel like it's a good uh, organization. Uh, I'm happy to know that Northern Farmers are against racism. I mean, we won the war. We won the war. <laughs> Y'all, we won the war up north. Like we were through and through for it. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no question of who won the war. Well, I guess in the South, there's a question. I mean, it's still questionable. I like rural places. There's a lot of places to hide um, stuff. What would you hide in a rural place? I mean, you got grain silos? Surprise, surprise. Guess what's inside of a grain silo? It's grain. Yeah, but what's at the very bottom? I mean, you know how gravity works. I mean, it just kind of all forces it down. Um, hey, have you ever seen a, seen a hollowed out grain silo? There's usually a body in there. Did you watch the movie Witness with Harrison Ford? Is that what you're trying to allude to? Uh, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, fair enough. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we will be back with our guest this week, Daryl Klepp. Hey, optophobes. What do you know about Romania? My guess is that you don't know a lot. No one knows much about Romania. Here's the sum total of what you know about Romania. Dracula. But that's too bad because Romania is amazing. There's so much more to the country than Dracula. For instance, it is completely packed with other vampires. Romania is also the home of pastrami, the smoky, spicy, steamed, cured beef navel. Yes, I said beef navel, as in cow belly button. Here at Blend Venom Solutions, we found that liquefied beef navel pairs well with a combination of carbonated water, high fructose corn syrup, tartaric acid and citric acid, sodium benzoate, acacia gum, red number 40, and blue number 1, also known as grape soda. Together, they make icy pastrami grape spritz, part of our new Meat Pops line of cold-cut sodas. But that's not all. We've also added a drop of venom from the South American Bushmaster. This snake's venom causes swelling of the limbs, random bruising across the body, death of tissue, pus buildup, dizziness, reduced heart rate, and blisters. If you feel any of these symptoms after taking a slug of icy pastrami grape spritz, just take another slug and it'll probably go away. Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your thirst using snakes. Hey, we are back with our guest, Daryl Clapp. Daryl, you were telling us a little bit about life in Redding, Pennsylvania. 
And you were starting to get into your interest in movies when you were Mm -hmm. a teenager in a kind of a rural landscape and the importance of movies uh, growing up that way. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your movie interest and specifically about when you first saw or heard about Relentless? Well, so I was born in the 70s, coming into my my teens in the 80s, uh, just a big fan of movies. And so no, I didn't know you were so old. Keep going. Okay. I don't know why. Is your dad old? I mean, I guess he would be. He is a father. So fair enough. All right. I'll dial that back. I won't dial it back. I'm just going to leave it set. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Fair enough. I was a big fan of movies like The Warriors, also class of 1984. There's just a lot of grit and grittiness in those films. And I love the fact that a lot of the focus of the antagonists and protagonists is that they never stop. They just keep moving the entire time. You know, so fast forward to, you know, the 80s, watching a lot of the Friday the 13th movies, a lot of masked horror films. Uh, just the focus of the antagonists that they had, enviable, just enviable to me. So late 80s, towards the end of the decade, I finally had a chance to come around in 1988 and watch Maniac Cop. Why did I watch Maniac Cop? I love me Bruce Campbell, which is how I came to find out about this director. And a year later, in 1989, ended up actually seeing Relentless in the theater. Wow, so you were actually a fan of William Lustig, not just a fan of a like a Judd Nelson or some other way that you would get to this movie. I, I am a lusty through and through. You have any um, black directors from the late '80s that you like? I just I feel like I'm being put on blast in terms of I, I've seen Do the Right Thing. All right, I saw a lot of other Spike movies during that time. Who was the director of that? It was, it was Spike Lee. Your honorable Spike Lee. I'll talk about Do the Right Thing all day long. You want to do that? I'll get into. No, no, it. I, was just... I, I thought no, it's fine. Listen, Jeffrey. If you want to talk about another movie, I'll talk about it. All right. Film aficionado here. All right. So I'm happy to get into it. But if you want to talk about Relentless, I'll get into it. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. All right. It had an impact on me. All right. It had an impact on me in the sense that 1989 is when I I graduated from high school and I started working on a lot of farms that were in Reading, eventually moving over to Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. Now, I get a chance to travel, travel a lot on the weekends for all these different farmers markets that they have that are around. In fact, as of late, you could probably see me at the crystal city farmers market. I'm there every Saturday from five 45 until one 30 in the afternoon. All right. We have, we have CSA boxes that are going to be available next season. You can subscribe online. That's so early. That's so early in the morning, five 45 AM. I mean, I get up early. I get up real, I get up real early and that's just a part of like what you do. You've- hey, no matter how early you get up, I've already been awake. I mean, are you are you just not sleeping? I'm a night owl. Okay. I do my best work at night. Okay. Well, like I was saying, so a big part of this is that I work on a farm. I work on a farm that is in Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's called Little Bulbs Farm. Uh, little Bulbs, we're best known for our onions as well as also our Holland Bulbs. All right. It's just a little wordplay for you there. All right. Two different types of bulbs they have. Yep. One for decoration, one for feasting. All right. I've noticed that there's a lot of judgment that I carry. Now, I'd like to think and I'd like to say that a lot of it was maybe some of the imagery and kind of my takeaway from being in those theaters and being so young and impressionable. I was about 19 whenever I saw Relentless for the first time. Some of that imagery that's there. I kind of have like a plan every time I go to a new farmer's market. Can I explain that plan to y'all? 
Yeah, let me back you up, though, before you go there. I wanted to ask about your experience in watching Relentless. Because obviously you had some expectations going in because you were lusty. Did you like it? Did you have any special feelings while you were watching it? Did it give you any impulses? What did you do when you walked out of How, of- how did you feel about the... Uh- Black chief. Look, I'm glad, and this is this is hard, Jeffrey. You know, maybe this is something that's a little bit of a challenge because you know I feel like in some cases we're paying for the sins of our fathers. They should have had better representation in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s and 2000s in terms of black actors in cinema. All right, shame on shame on them. I will say though that it was something that I thought was powerful: the fact that they put a black man in charge of all those other white cops and detectives that they had that were there. I thought that putting him in a position of power was a strength of the film. I agree. I agree. I think sometimes uh, affirmative action hires are good. That's how I got my job at a Hollywood video. Are you happy though? Oh no, I'm not qualified. Okay. So Daryl, were there any other, any other messages that you got? Any other uh, feelings that came up from watching it? Uh, I had a, I had a real uh, deep seated connection uh, for, I guess, maybe two scenes. One at the very beginning where it's very kind of silent and you just kind of hear like walking, you just kind of hear steps. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of farm work is very solitary and it's done, as I mentioned, very early in the morning. And so I felt like, oh man, that's like a snippet of my life right now. Am I looking at that? Other part was when uh, Judd Nelson dropped down to uh, attack the woman um, because I fell through the top of a barn one time and I was just like, oh my God. I was like, oh my God, this, he is doing what I have done. I know what that's like. And I stuck the landing as well. So, I mean, good on Judd for being able to do that. That's not an easy thing to do. That was like a superhero landing. He really did. If he would have put his arm back a little bit, I would have been like, man, that's an Iron Man if I ever saw it myself. So Daryl, then, so you were in the movies, but you also either became a farmer, right? Or you were worked on farms and then you became a farmer marketeer. You now work in farmer's markets. Correct. So, I mean, it's not, you don't just get to work at a farmer's market. In many cases, you know, I work on a farm. As I mentioned, I work I work on Little Bulbs Farm uh, in Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. Best sweet and Vidalia onions you've ever had east of the Miss. And that's short for Mississippi, which is just an industry term. Don't worry about it. So I, I would consider myself, I am a farmer, uh, but I don't own the farm. I'm a part of the staff. And so you work there regular, you know, Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, you also help out, you know, on a, a, a rotating basis to be able to help on some of the farmer's markets that we have that are out of state. And what, what do you like most about working in the farmer's markets? Whew. Well, this is kind of where it gets a little bit tricky and it kind of goes back to a little bit about our movie Relentless. Can I, can I begin to kind of explain to you what I've been doing? Oh, sure, please. Okay. So I kind of have this process. You know, first step is when you're at a farmer's market is that you meet a lot of people. You meet a lot of people. They're coming in and out. You meet a lot of families. Second step is that I like to get to know them. I like to really kind of get to know them, have witty banter every week. What did you make with what we gave you last week? How's it going? Any fun recipes? I judge them. I judge them immediately. Now, it's very hard because if I'm judging them, I'm judging them based on what they purchase. I'm not judging them on them being human beings, Jeffrey. So if they pick up some Vidalias, you judge them like great taste. Yeah, and that's and you know, Roderick, you know, that's that's interesting because if it's a CSA and they're coming to pick up a box, one, thank you for supporting local agriculture, two, 
I've given you what we have for that week, what's in season. I can't judge you. When I judge people, it's on the loose produce that they take. If they take loose produce and they pick it up, then I'm here to judge you. I have a question. If I pick up, what if I want pearl onions? I mean, we have pearl onions, the very tiny ones that you would use for like a sauce or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. are those in season? I mean, it depends. So a lot of cases, what's nice is that some of the produce that we grow, we actually have an airtight facility where we can keep a majority of it. Oh, wow. It stays in season long past when it actually would have gone bad. Wow. And the nice part about that is that you can rest assured saying that, hey, I'm going to put in an order for some of those pearl onions. We're going to make sure that you get them the next week. So that's very interesting. You have a facility that's airtight. Right. So probably can't smell stuff that's in there. Yeah. I mean, oxygen, oxygen is the enemy of everything. That's what I've been saying for years. So- once I get to this point, then I, I take whatever they have, whatever loose produce they have. I help them out to their car. I take note of their license plate. And then later at a date and time, I follow them home. Wait, what? You follow them home? Yeah, I follow them home. Why, why would you do that? I, because I'm, I'm stalking them. What? Uh, am I leaving you? Am I leaving you both speechless? Have you guys never driven outside of somebody else's house, sat there in a car, and waited like you were in a stakeout in a film, but then didn't actually act out on the impulse that you had to kill somebody? Um, this is how your farmer career is connected to relentless. These are where the impulses came from. You think originally to follow somebody home. And wait outside of the house. Roderick, it's tricky because, I mean, if you look at my timeline, and trust me, I've gone over it time and time again, all right? When you go through it and you look, I watched the movie in 1989, and I started working on a farm in 1989. And so I don't know which one is connected. They're just interwoven in my head. I will help you. I will judge you. I will put it in the back of your car and then I will follow you home and I will wait outside your house. I just did a quick Google search on the um, farmer's market and saying that they've got a report of people missing. Well, okay, that could be anything, but I'll be honest with you. The challenge that I have with this is that anytime I'm staking anybody out, Anytime I'm staking anybody out, I'm usually watching them. Maybe they just moved into a house and they don't have any blinds there yet. I'm just kind of peeping in. I'm not getting out of my car. I'm not like that into it, but I am watching them very intently and I'm seeing what they're doing, seeing what their family's up to. Now, I get to a point in my stalking process, I fall asleep every time. And y'all know why? Y'all know why? Y'all know why? Nope. Uh, no, nope. this is just the darndest thing. All right. My circadian rhythm from working on the farm puts me to sleep at 735 every single night. Oh, okay. So if I follow them home, I'm out. I'm asleep in the car. 735 like clockwork. I cannot help it. That's just that's a problem of working on a farm where you got to get up at three, three thirty in the morning, three thirty if I'm slacking, might I add. So that's so then you fall asleep and you wake up at three thirty. You're like, oh, crap. I was stalking people again. Let me go home. I got to get to the farm. Yeah. I just go back home, start my farm day, do my chores, do whatever I got to, you know, gear up for the week. Daryl, can I say something to you? Yeah, please. I don't like you. Okay. I don't like hearing that you're stalking people at the farmer's market. I mean, I don't like the fact that you're buying large exotic animals and keeping them inside your house. Do you know how bad that is for those oh, animals? Oh, well, I'm not buying them. I'm rescuing them. No, I mean, are we being are we being real honest? Yeah, I'm being real honest right now. All right, I don't like you either, Jeffrey. Well, that's, that's fine. I know. Yeah, 
Most people don't like me because I work at Hollywood Video. It's not even the Hollywood Video. It's just your general demeanor and attitude about this. I think it's mostly the Hollywood Video. I mean, immediately, immediately I started reminding you of your father. I do one little thing, and then it's all of a sudden a whole daddy flashback for you, and I'm sorry. Well, I mean, you're also stalking people outside their house, which is what my dad used to do, too. Uh, we actually might have more in common than you want to admit. Oh, I doubt you can kill an animal as fast as me. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go all the way to L.A., I'm going to find your Hollywood video. I'm going to apply there. I'm going to become your manager. All right? I'm going to boss you around, see how you like it. Go ahead. I, uh, you'll find it pretty easy. It's the only Hollywood video left. All right. Be real easy to Google it. Terrell, we're almost out of time, but I have one more question for you. Yeah. You're mentioning that every time that you you follow somebody home, I'm guessing with the intent to kill that person, you never get to that point because of the circadian rhythms with your farm life make you fall asleep just before you would have the ability to actually follow through with that murder. So I'm wondering if you had ever thought about timing the kills slightly differently so that it would be earlier in the day so that the actual uh, point of impact, so to speak, would be a little bit before 745. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, Roderick. I never even considered that. I never even thought to just step up my timetable a little bit. That's a good note. I'm going to take that back. What an amateur. That's like stalking 101. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there for now. I want to thank our guest this week, Daryl Klepp. Daryl, thank you so much for being on the show at at the last minute. Thank thank y'all. I appreciate y'all having me on here and just, well, it's been a pleasure, except for Jeffrey. And uh, thank you, as always, to my co-host, Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. Oh, right. I, I forget that sometimes. Dahmer. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it, Jeffrey? It's kind of this coincidence that yeah. you're doing a, st- a season about serial killers and your name is so close to... Yeah, but let's just make sure we're hitting that L. It's not It's not the name of the other guy. He who shall not be named, Voldemort. Optophobes, just remember there is an L in Dahmer. It's Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Please join us next week when our guest will be Jermaine Schwitz, owner of the Bitchin' Barrel a surf shop in Hooper, Nebraska. Jermaine believes he was an attempted victim of relentless fan and would-be serial killer, the Little Caesars Slasher. The Little Caesars Slasher, whose real name is Wally Porchevsky, and who made up his own serial killer name and embroidered it into his shirts, didn't kill anybody either. Jermaine will tell us the not super harrowing story of Porchevsky trying to slash him, with crazy bread while Jermaine and his girlfriend were sharing an ultimate supreme pie. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I'm Roderick Decker, and I'll leave you with this. Crying is perfectly fine, as long as you're prepared for a good slapping. If you've got a connection to Relentless, we'd like to hear it. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at Optophobes. And please subscribe and rate the show if you like it. Thank you to Sean Paul Ellis, who played Daryl Klepp. Sean performs with Washington Improv Theater Ensemble Team Knox. Check out his podcasts, Saturday Morning, that's morning with a U, Cartoons, where he reviews cartoons from your childhood with a critical adult lens. And The Bureau, an improvised FBI podcast. 
Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at at Sean Paul Ellis. Thank you to Jamal Newman, who played Jeffrey Dahmer. Jamal performs with Lena Dunham, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble, and Nixon. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at at Hello Newman, and find him at jamalnewman.com. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Additional website art by Nicole Bennett. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open. Keep them open.